Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So, Judges 11. Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was, was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, Don't, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we're turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you'll be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Uh, Jephthah answered, suppose you take me, take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness and we will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all the words, all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh passed through Mizpah of Gilead and went from there. He advanced against the Ammonites and Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph, from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah, Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him into, gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aror to the vicinity of Minith, and as far as Abel Keramim. Thus Israel subdued Amnon. When Jephthah returned to his house in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him um, but his daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines. She was only a child. Except for her, he had neither a son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have broke me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep for my friends, because I will never marry. You might may go, he said, uh, and he let her go for two months. She and her friends went to the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as, she, as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite tradition, that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Good afternoon, my name is Andrew. Um, for those of, those of you who are new, you're very welcome here. And so Steve, our lead pastor, is on his sabbatical at the moment. So he asked me about January if I would be interested to give a sermon during our series of judges. And I said, all right. I wrote him back and asked him, what, are, what do you have in mind? He said, Jephthah. I was like, interesting. Like, I don't know how many of you actually, show of hands, like, who actually knows the story of Jephthah before today? Yeah, like, that included me. Oh, so you know about Jephthah. Great. So, yeah, so I didn't know. So I read the passage, right? And I said, okay, this is interesting. Let's learn a little bit more about Jephthah. 
And so it's, it's, the passage starts off very much like what we've learned through Judges at the moment, right? It's the whole cycle of, you know, the Israelites abandoning God, and then they started worshiping other gods, and then the other countries, the neighboring countries come and oppress them, and the Israelites get really, you know, flustered, and they're freaking out, and they're asked for deliverance, and then God had mercy on them and appointed a leader. In this case, it was Jephthah, and Jephthah was, you know, became the leader and asked, um, you know, essentially go out and fight the war and came back victorious, right? And then he came home and he essentially burned his daughter alive. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Some dude who burned his daughter alive because he thought it was a good idea to use that as a burnt offering to God. So that is going to be interesting. I think the only application I can think of right now is that, you know, guys, can we just keep each other accountable this week? that we're not going to burn our children in our life. I mean, that's about it, right? Like, we're done, we're done here. We're going to go home. Um, no, but, uh, yeah, actually, I, I, I dug a little bit deeper into the passage, and it turns out it's one of the more challenging passages in, in the Bible. And there are two school of thoughts about what exactly happened. And the majority of people truly do believe that, and this is what Jephthah did, he killed his daughter, a minority, thought, a minority of people thinks that he offered her up as a priestess to God's temple, meaning that she would have been a virgin for the rest of her life. So, like, since January until, you know, recently, my opinions have really swung. So, initially, I was in the minority. I'm like, oh, great. So, he didn't actually kill his daughter. That's great news. Such relief. I don't have to talk about that. To then investigating a little bit more and concluding that, you know what? Yeah, he did, he did, he did offer up his daughter as spurning. Um, sacrifice. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more later about why I believe this is the most logical conclusion, but I just want us to use this as a focus of our talk today. And the main question that we're here to answer is, what led Jephthah to make this tragic vow of killing his own daughter? Okay, so that's, that's where we're going to. And I think before we can answer that question, it's really important for us to build a little bit of context, all right? We need a little bit of context of who the Israelites were as a group of people during this time, and we need a little bit of context of who Jephthah was as a person as well. Because I think understanding the context would give us a little bit of an idea about the culture during that time and the motivation of what led to a really, really tragic event. Okay, so let's start with the Israelites. Okay, so we're going to go through the passages again in bits, and um, I'll give a little bit of sort of commentary in between. So let's start up actually in Judges 10. Start in verse 6. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and Ashtoreths and the gods of Aram and the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the gods of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years they oppressed all the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelite cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Fair play to you, Chloe, by the way. That's a lot of different names there. I don't know how you pronounced it, but... Well done, Chloe. <laughs> um, right, so it starts off in the same familiar cycle, right? Israel are, again, worshiping other gods. 
Except this time, they've really gone up to the deep end. Not only were they worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth, which are the local Canaanite gods, but now they've also brought in the gods from the neighboring countries, which have oppressed them in the past. So it's, it's now just like a melting pot of idols and foreign gods in Israel. And it's just a really, really unhealthy and sick and really detestable environment to be with. And as a nation, then, God is really upset at what's going on. And so God said, look, he says, God became angry with them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies. So to sell is to change ownership. You know, like imagine if you have a car and you decide to sell it to another person. That's like the new owner now can do as the new owner pleases with that car because it's under new ownership. So God allowed the Israelites to be handed over to the gods that they're serving under new ownership. And it was a long and total oppression. Like I said, there it lasted for 18 years. And then you, you pick up words like shattered, crushed, great distress. I mean, this was a complete oppression from, from the east of Jordan all the way to the west. This is a complete Israel. Israelites, after 18 years, figured out that we've had enough, right? And so they said, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the bells. And it's really interesting if you look at what God's response is um, in verse 11 to 14. So the Lord replied, when the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, the Malachites and the Maronites oppressed you, and you cried to me for help. Did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you've chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. Notice that God didn't immediately forgive them or rescue them. I mean, he didn't just lift a finger and take their sufferings away because he was targeting their hearts. He's getting into the real issues. And he said, look, I, I've saved you time and time again, and time and time again, you've forsaken me. Like, we've, we've done this dance a million times. It's the same cycle. And I, like, I think I can relate to that, you know, with sin. Like, we just again and again come into God, and it's the same cycle. And God is saying the same thing about the Israelites here. God is saying, like, I know what this cry of yours is. Like, it's merely a cry for help to take away and to alleviate your misery and your oppression. Like, you are just sorry for the consequences of your sin, but you're still in love with the sin itself. Like, you don't want me. You just want me to do the things to, for you to take away your problems and your pain. And so here's one of the first key points, is that Israelites were treating God as if he behaves like their other gods. They're trying to push the right buttons make the right sacrifices in order to get God to exert his power for them, right? Like a little puppet. So being rebuked by God, the Israelites sort of get it now. They're like, we have sinned. Do with us whatever you think best, but please rescue us now. And then they got rid of foreign gods among them and served the Lord, and he could bear Israel's misery no longer. So they went from, God, take away the suffering now, just take away the consequences, to saying, look, God, we want you, even if it means we're going to keep suffering. You know, do with us whatever you think best. And that is the first step to true repentance. Okay, so it's in this context that our character, Jephthah, enters into the story. All right, so 
jump down to Judges 11. We're going to get to know Jephthah a little bit. So in verse 1, it says, Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead, his, which was very confusing, by the way. Like, he's from Gilead, and his dad's name is Gilead, which, anyway, his mother was a prostitute. So from the first verse, you learn two things about Jephthah. First is that he's a mighty warrior. And second was that he was a son of a prostitute. And as if he needed any more reminder of who he was, the painful truth of his illegitimacy and identity. In verse 2, his half-brothers reminded him again. He says, Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they say, because you are the son of another woman. They're essentially telling him, you are not accepted here. You have no value, and you are not worth anything. Like, imagine growing up, hearing this again and again, being reminded again and again how worthless you are and how unwanted you are. Uh, what would you do? Jephthah fled. He was like, peace out, and went up north to the land of Tob. And he said, so Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and fouled him. And I don't know if you caught what just happened there, but essentially Jephthah got involved in organized crime. Like, and then he wasn't even just like a street-level thug. He got all the way up to the, to the top. Like he was the crime boss. He was the godfather of the mafia. Like this is who we're talking about. This is Jephthah. So he's an outcast and a criminal. Okay, so now Jephthah has built a little bit of street cred. And the elders of Gilead is coming to him because now the Gileadites are thick in war with the Ammonites uh, who has been oppressing Israel and has set up camp sort of east of Gilead. And it says in verse 6 then, come, they say, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. In the next few verses, you can see that Jephthah is actually a very shrewd negotiator. And look at the conversation. He refused them at first. In verse 7, he said, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Like, why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Jephthah saying, you've persecuted me. You've sent me to exile. And now you want me, to be, you want me because you're in trouble and I got the specific skill sets to help you get out of trouble? Uh, it's not going to be that easy. So elders are starting to get the situation here and they're sweetening up the deal. And they say, nevertheless, we are turning to you now Come with us to fight the Ammonites, and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Now they have Jephthah's attention. Jephthah says, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elder said, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. Deal. It's hard to say what Jephthah's motivation is. Like, did he really want to defeat the Ammonites for the injustice that they've brought to his people? Or was it a more personal and selfish reasons? Was it to claim what was denied to him his whole life? A name, an inheritance, a legitimacy, acceptance? I think our hearts, like Jephthah's, are oftentimes deceitful and is filled with mixed motives. So this leads us to our passage that we want to hone in on, which is about the tragic vow. 
So it starts here. It says in 29 then, it said, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. And when Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his own daughter, dancing to the sound of tambourines? She was, only, she was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down, and I am devastated. I've made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. My father, she replied, You have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends because I will never marry. And after two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. So the question is, did Jephthah really sacrifice his daughter? My answer is yes, and I suppose there's a few, there's a few reasons why. If you look at Judges as a book in general, the whole point of Judges is structured in a way to show the repeated downward spiral of Israel's behavior during the time before they had the kings. Right, so the whole book of Judges focuses in on specific characters, the judges, but it's supposed to give, it's supposed to make a point of a widespread epidemic of Israel abandoning God and turning to the other gods during this time. If you look back even to Deuteronomy, before the Israelites even entered the promised land, God warned them of these, like these terrible practices. So in Deuteronomy, he says, God said, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So even before the time of Judges, even before the Israelites have entered into the promised land, there was already acknowledgement that at that land there are practices of child sacrifice, and it existed, and it was a commonplace. So God specifically told the Israelites to abolish these practices because it was, they were detestable to God. But what actually happened when he got there? You see, early on in Judges 2, he said, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned God, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. So it's, it's not a huge leap, you know, of faith to, to make that conclusion that this is something that Jephthah could have easily done because this has been going on for a long time and it's a common practice in Canaan. So that's my first point is that it's, it's probably not as shocking to think that that's exactly what Jephthah would have done. The other argument some made is that Jephthah was expecting an animal to come out, not a person. The argument against that is that if he did intend for the burning sacrifice to be an animal, then when his daughter comes out, he would have never even conceived of the idea that the vow, the vow that he made could be binding to a human. 
the grammar that was used for the word whatever in his vow is actually used as whoever as well. So Jephthah was always open to the possibility that the burning sacrifice would involve a person. He just didn't expect it to be his one and only daughter. So with that, then the question of the day is what led Jephthah to make this tragic vow of killing his own daughter? And I think there are two reasons why Jephthah made that tragic vow. I think the first is that Jephthah had a misperception of who God was. In the same way that the Israelites were treating God as if he behaves like the other gods. You know, like the Israelites were trying to push the right buttons, make the right sacrifices in order to to manipulate God to remove their struggles without having to actually deal with the sin inside. Jephthah assumed that God could be brought, could be bought or controlled through a vow that involves child sacrifice. Like he assumed that God was like the other gods that they worshipped. He was as much a byproduct of the pagan culture that the Israelites have adopted over time. Jephthah assumed that God's blessing was conditional, that it required an element of work or sacrifice from him. And I think this is relevant and it applies to us today too. I think we are mostly far more affected by our culture than the Bible. And we are far more affected by our cultures than we like to think. Jephthah ignored what the scriptures told him about who God is. And instead, he listened to the pagan cultures and what they think about God. Jephthah makes us look at ourselves and ask, you know, what, what, what are some of the blind spots do I have that causes me to have the wrong perception of who God really is? I think my blind spot would be that I feel like I still need to earn God's favor. You know, I, I think I still have a work-based relationship when it comes to God. And you go to work, you know, and you have your boss, and it's always like, you know, how are you doing? And you feel like you need to really work hard in order to get the favor of your boss. And that then translates into your relationship with God when you feel like you need to do the same thing in order for God to approve you. And that's not who God is. God is a God of grace, right? You can't really earn anything. It's really from everything that he's done for you. The second reason that I think to led, that led Jephthah to make that tragic vow was because he was desperate to be known and to be affirmed. He needed that win against the Ammonites badly. For, for him, the stakes are too high. If he didn't deliver the victory, he would lose the chance for legitimacy and affirmation. He would just be Jephthah the son of a prostitute with no inheritance to his name. But if you look at verse 29, Jephthah had all he needed from the very get-go. He says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. That's all he needed. That was God's grace for him to empower him to deliver the Ammonites in his hand. But see, sadly, Jephthah didn't know that God was, a God, God was a God of grace. So despite being empowered by God, Jephthah felt like he couldn't trust God and he needed to secure his own destiny. God became only a means to an end, and the end being his ultimate goal of self-glory. So ironically, he got what he wanted, right? He became a leader of Israel, but it cost him the one thing he had that he never got as a child, a sense of family. 
he lost his one and only daughter because of this vow. So we have always felt we have to control God, to pay God, to deserve God, that we cannot simply trust God to love and bless us. So I want to challenge you with this question. In what ways would you live differently, so more radically or more restfully, if you really believe God was completely committed to me, to you, and to love you, and to bless you, and to work what is best for you? Maybe then we won't need to take matters into our own hands and we don't need to have a backup plan just in case God doesn't show up because we're able to trust God and his grace completely. So look, my question for you today is this. Do you know who your God is? Is it consistent with how God has revealed himself through the scriptures? Or do you, like me, have some blind spots due to the, you know, the cultures around you and the influences around you that causes you to have a wrong impression of who God is? Do you trust the God of grace? Maybe you're in a stage of life where you feel the stakes are too high. Maybe you feel weak or paralyzed by the situations in life that feel so out of your control. I want to encourage you to remember that his grace is sufficient. And he said that his power is made perfect in our weaknesses. And again, in what ways would you live differently if you really believe God was completely committed to you, to love you, and to bless you, and to work what is best for you? And maybe for some of you today, and something is stopping you from trusting God fully, maybe you have a misperception of who God is, I would encourage you to look at the cross, which displayed who God is. He is a God who, despite our rebellion, gave up his own son so that we might have a chance to experience his love. A God who longs to speak truth into our lives, to call out our destiny and our identity in him. That you and I are sons and daughters of the Almighty if you will come back to him. So look, I think there's a few things that we can draw from Jephthah and I think this is a good time for us to just bow our heads and pray a little bit. Let's just reflect a little bit. And I'm going to ask Craig to come up and just lead us into the next song shortly. Father God, we thank you that... that that you are such an infinite God that whatever we know of you now, Father, that there is still infinite more that we can learn about you. And you are a good God. God, thank you for your faithfulness and just how you continue to pursue us. and continue to speak into our hearts. God, I pray that you will help us to see the areas of blind spots in our life where our impression and perception of you is more influenced by the cultures around us than who you say you are, Father. I pray, God, that you're in lightness when we spend time with you. 
in your scripture, that you continue to reveal yourself to us. And God, I pray as well that you would just demonstrate to us day after day how wonderful your grace is. Father, we want to learn to live radically. We want to learn to live restfully, knowing that you have our life all together. God, I'm sorry that I oftentimes need a backup plan. That is, that you are a means to an end at times. So God, now as we come to you, Father, God, we acknowledge our brokenness, we acknowledge our imperfections, and we acknowledge our need for more of you. You are the one that satisfies our soul. The things of this world, Father, they will never satisfy They will never give us a true identity that our soul longs for. But God, you can when you speak truth into our hearts to remind us again who we are. So God, as we sing this next song, would you just open our eyes, Father, and just soften our spirit and our heart to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.